0: Greetings, Bible scholars, and welcome to the Pastor Mike Drop Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and I'm joined by my co-host, Emily.
1: Hello. How are you? great. How are you? Uh,
0: Excellent. We've been having so much fun in the 10 minutes leading up (laughs) to this podcast um, that it's hard not to keep continue laughing. But welcome. Uh, Pull up a chair, you know, symbolically here at our table. Uh, Open up your Bibles. We're reading through Romans 8 through 12, and it doesn't get any deeper than this. Uh, And we have a great panel with us today. Emily?
1: Yep lead campus pastor at Hope Ames, Danny Householder. Hi, Danny. Hey. You got a shout out last week. I did. Five-year-old version of I you.
0: Oh, that's right. I did I, tell that story. And
1: I will say, I,
2: I very specifically remember that story because <laughs> I very specifically remember you talking about sin in a sermon. <laughs> okay. And it was pretty close to around that time when I was sitting in the front row and I began to cry so badly because I'd torn a page in the Bible. Oh. You stopped the sermon and you looked at mom and you said, is everything okay? And then, and then she just said, he feels terrible. He tore a page in the Bible. And then you went into talking about how it's not us who are making the mistakes. It's the sin inside of us. That, and so I held on to I'd that. i have forgotten oh
0: all that part of it. Yeah, I just I remember it. when I was trying to get you to go to bed one wow. night, you said, Dad, it's not me. It's the sin in me.
2: I And that was the that was the story behind the story. <laughs> That's good.
0: Oh well, gosh. now you know, as Paul Harvey would say, the, the rest, rest of the story, of the story <laughs> oh from last gosh. week. And if you don't know what we're talking about, last week, how come you aren't we're watching back. every podcast that we yeah. put yeah. out there? Yeah, you you got to follow up. along. That's right.
1: We also have digital outreach minister, Mark Brandt. Currently laughing already. How many
3: cool five year old stories? And then I got a turtle on my fifth birthday at a McDonald's birthday party. A real live no, turtle? No, no, it was a stuffed turtle. I, oh, I was going to say, it. talk
1: about
3: a happy meal gift. It was, was handing out turtles? Let's It was see.
0: chicken nuggets, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> kid sized fries, and a live <laughs> turtle. turtle. It was a oh,
2: different
3: Different
0: McDonald's back then. Yeah, the <laughs> live animals were fine. Now, right. let's, let's, go, let's go back uh, right half a generation or so. Oh, Weren't you youth? pastor, youth uh, minister, uh, for, for, for Pastor Danny yeah. here? Thanks for making and me feel me. old And today. for yep. our co-host, Emily? Yes. yep, yep. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yep. How, uh, you know, TikTok times change. Oh, changed. how the turntables have turned. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was going to say that as a compliment, though. It's You've okay. influenced yeah. so many been uh, yeah. people here at Hope yeah. over mm-hmm. the years, yeah. so thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. are welcome. All right. Well, Romans 8 to 12, so we've got the silly stuff out. <laughs> we do. Now we're going to get really serious, and we invite you in. This is as good as it gets. Uh, Romans 9 through 12. We're going to do a little bit on 8 too as we get started. So without further ado, Ted Lasso, let's get to the questions.
2: Why don't we just jump right in? Anybody got any questions? Oh, yeah.
0: No, should have saw that coming.
1: Okay, our first one. We said we would get to it after last week, and we're going to go back to Romans 8. What stands out for you as you read the familiar text about nothing separating us from God's love this time around?
0: Yeah, this is this is essential biblical formational, uh, you know, kind of summation uh, uh, text. And it's taken into the context of the rest of Paul's letter to the Romans, which adds depth and breadth to it, which is just another reminder why it's so important to be doing your whole Holy Bible into your readings, uh, because we're not just reading texts and trying to figure out like this verse. But we can figure it out a lot better when we read that verse in in the rest of the context. And so that's what really struck me this time, is Paul is rolling, and he continually is building his point, tying in God's grace through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection on the cross, to creation. And doing that in a way that's going to get the attention of the Jewish uh, Christians in the church in Rome, but also probably fascinate the Gentile mm. Christians who certainly know there's a creation, certainly know that there's there's creation around them, and so that's going to get their attention. But then Paul's building, and he's building, and he's building, and he finally hits this point where he says, look you're underestimating. People do this all the time, and we still do it today. You're underestimating how powerful God's love is, mm-hmm. just how strong it is. How, how, how He says there's other powerful forces in this world. He, he mentions a few. Fear, that can be powerful. Worry can knock us out and ruin a good day. Um, death is certainly the one we don't even like to talk about. We, we just deny it, sweep it under the rug. So I, just, I don't even want to think about that a lot of times. But the good news Paul is saying is, based on everything I've been saying, not just here in this letter to Romans and what's going on in the first century, you know, Roman empire, but has been happening since the beginning of humankind since, since creation. Yes. Fear is a big force. Yes. Worry. Yes. Death. Yes. All these things, these powers, these forces, but God is bigger. God is bigger. Uh, so one more quick Danny story, as long as we're on a roll, when we were on vacation once uh, we were driving on Sunday morning in the mountains of Colorado and Danny, you were about what, nine or 10 years old at the time. And we couldn't get to church. And so we said, well, we're going to have church in the car as we go. So we did Bible readings. Christy sang a song and Danny said, I'll preach. Yeah, And his sermon was basically, God is... Big. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> that, that God is big. And that's the point Paul's making here, deep mm. theological point that a nine-year-old can grasp, but hopefully an 89-year-old can grasp but everywhere in between. That God is bigger, greater than, put a greater than sign around anything you're up against today. The fears, the worries, the, the grief from death. The world says it's the end. It's not the end. No. Do you, you remember
1: that? Yeah, I, I, I remember it well. I've heard the story, oh, yeah.
2: but... Yes, I do remember that sermon. Uh, lots of lots, <laughs> lots of great feedback afterward. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Shortest sermon I ever preached. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Sometimes those you are the know? best. Yeah. yeah. No, you, you and Mom were impressed. You're proud. I could tell.
0: Yeah. It's important to be reminded how much God loves us, and it's why, that's why we're saying, here's the Bible. We want you to read it, but we want you to learn it. Mm-hmm. And, and we want you to live it out too. Yeah. Well,
3: and this was the very first verse I underlined ever. So I was in eighth grade, started to go back to church, and wow. this uh, and the FCA huddle leader for Indianola, you know, uh, Jan Worling, she was a phenomenal human being, yeah. gave me a bookmark with Romans 8, 38 and 39 on it. And as a guy who didn't grow up in church, who always thought I was in the outside, like I was outside of God's love, when I read those two verses, it really brought alive the idea that there's nothing that can separate me from God. I didn't have to be in. I didn't have to know the handshake or the different right. things. And so I mean this is the original Bible. I brought it with my my confirmation Bible with my name on it. Look at that. Wow. wow. So, still uh, here. That's the very first that I ever underlined.
0: That's cool. So you you chose well. It's it's so And good. you were led to it by yep, by, by a, your FCA. by a great
3: leader. great woman of faith.
0: That's fantastic. This this is a key verse. It really puts in perspective all the things we're up against. Mm. There mm. it's not and it's it's not too often I think we make the mistake um as human beings, I was going to say it's Christians, but it's not just Christians. Mm. The world's like, hey, just think positive, or hey, just be stronger, you know, mm. dig down deep, and, and you'll fight through it. You can do it. Paul's saying, actually, God does it. And, and all that stuff you're up against, you're connected to God through his love, and nothing ever can take that away. Man, that's really good news. And that includes our sin, and that includes anything we carry the guilt and shame of, it's, it's wiped out.
2: Yeah. I can't get over who's writing this. Paul is writing this. Yeah, In the early part of his life and into adulthood, his life was dedicated to being obsessed with the things that separate us from God's love. He was a Pharisee. So his entire life was dedicated to trying to eliminate the sin in his life that might be something that stood between him and God. And remember when we met Paul for the first time, it's in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, when he's still Saul, and he's witnessing the death, the execution, the martyr of Stephen. And as he's watching this man who just professed the good news of Jesus, who's dying for that... He's seeing him die this terribly violent death. And I wonder how insane it must have driven Saul at the time who'd been obsessed. He just wants to be with God. He just wants to get close with God. He's trying his absolute best. And here is someone who's facing death, who's facing hell, who's facing what seems like demons and evil in its purest form um, being martyred. At the end of his life, he looks like he's seeing Jesus closer than ever. Mm-hmm. He's saying, Jesus, take my spirit. Jesus, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And now here's Saul seeing this, and it must have driven him nuts. Who's this guy? A sinner. Who's this guy who could be this close to Jesus, this apparently his savior? Mm-hmm. And so then we meet Paul again in Acts chapter 9. And it says he's living and he's breathing out hatred for Christians. What it must have driven him nuts. Mm-hmm. And then he sees this Jesus face to face, and what has he learned? He's learned it was true. When Stephen was dying, there was nothing; there was nothing that could separate him from the power
0: of God's love. Yeah, because when Stephen dies, what does he do? He he forgives his killers. He he's, he's doing a Jesus impression. I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's as Christ-like as anybody can be in that moment. You're either crazy mm-hmm. or deranged or something when you by by doing. Oh, I'm I'm getting killed mm-hmm. uh, by these persecutors of Christians or you have something really strong. And that's the power of God's love. I'm glad you brought that up that way, Danny. It's text, which Mark, you've underlined in your Bible, first time ever. And it's text in context, which Mm -hmm. leads us right into our next question and why it's so important to read all of Romans, not just pull out a verse.
1: How does the makeup of the church in Rome, a diverse group of Jews and Gentiles, help us better understand Paul's words in Romans 9, and how does any of this apply to us?
2: Yeah, Remember what's going on in Romans, and remember the church that Paul's writing to. Like you said, it's Jews and non-Jews. That's culturally speaking. So in the early Christian church, there was an emperor... Um, Who sent out, who decreed that all the Jewish uh, people in Rome had to go? They left for five years. By the time that they come back, the Jewish believing, or the Jewish Christians, when they came back to their church, it looked very different because the non Jewish Christians, they weren't practicing the things that Jewish people had been practicing their entire lives. So there's this great tension. So one of the great reasons why Paul writes the book of Romans is because he's trying to unite this church. And he knows, man, if these people can be united, That's going to be a springboard for the faith for the rest of the world. And that's exactly what happens. So then what does Paul do in Acts chapter, or excuse me, in Romans chapter nine, he's grieving over the Jewish people. I mean, he says it's very clearly here. He's like, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ if that would save them. And what does he know when he's saying that? He knows Christ did exactly that so that you would be in on this and not just you, but the other people around. And I think that this begs the question is our faith more about us or is our faith more about what Jesus has done? It's about what Jesus has done. And Paul knows Jesus. Paul knows what Jesus has Mm -hmm. been teaching. He's seeming to make a very clear reference here to John chapter eight, when Jesus is in this conversation with Pharisees, people who are just like Paul, who are like, you can't tell us who we are. We're children of Abraham. And Paul is saying, it's not your ethnicity. It's not your heritage. It's not your status that saves you. Your faith is, and what saves you is not about mm-hmm. what you're doing it's about what Jesus has done for you that is whether you are Jewish whether you are Gentile and so if you want to practice these cultural things that help you connect with Jesus better that's awesome but that's not the thing that's going to save you what saves you is faith in the one who makes a promise that he's going to deliver you
3: mm-hmm. yeah i if there's i don't I can't think of a better example i mean when you think about he's writing to these folks helping them understand that everybody's in Mm-hmm. I mean, you're all a part mm-hmm. of this, because I think so much of it was about... Everybody's in who belongs right, to Christ. Right, who belongs to Christ. Yeah. I think there was such a discrepancy on, well, I'm in, you're not in, and you, well, yes. you're not in, I'm in. Right. I mean, it, Paul's like, break down the wall here for a moment.
1: And that applies to us right. still, too. Right, exactly. Oh
3: my gosh. Today, it, yes, we've got to... There's so much more that unites us than divides us. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: When friends can't be friends anymore, and family uh, can't be family anymore, and church can't be a united church anymore, right. be, why so often? and this is as sinful as anything our modern culture does, because we disagree on an issue. We can't be friends. We can't associate. We we don't just disagree anymore. Disagreement's great. I mean, it's great. That's overstated. Disagreement isn't the problem. Conflict isn't the problem. Mm -hmm. Disagreeing on political issues isn't the problem. Passionately disagreeing on political or social issues is not the problem. Going from disagreement to dismissal is the problem. Right. Going from disagreement to demonization uh, mm-hmm. of the person who I disagree with is a problem. Yep. Telling that person or just not telling that person, just saying, well, I don't talk to you. If I, if I bump into you in the friendly aisles of a grocery store, I won't talk to you anymore. Mm-hmm. I won't even mm-hmm. acknowledge you because we disagree on an issue, whatever the issue might be. And mm-hmm. when we do that, you, know, you realize what we've just done. We've made the issue bigger than the grace of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. we we've made the issue because we're saying, well, if we if we don't agree on this worldly thing, it's important. I'm not saying it's it's not important. It could be really really an important issue, mm-hmm. and it's important to have those conversations, those debates, even those disagreements. Let's talk about it, but let's not talk about it as a disunited body of Christ. Yes. Let's talk about it as as a as a as the church that's supposed to be what mm-hmm. Romans says we're supposed to be. Because we didn't invent disagreements or or divisions. Clearly, that's the context into which Paul is writing. And so, you know, it, it's that. And then, as you said, Danny, it's also your heritage in thinking that you could be made right by your good works, by or because of who you are as descendants mm-hmm. of Abraham and Sarah, which just assumes that you're more moral than anybody else, or you're more righteous than anybody else, but you're not. I'm fond of saying... Uh, being born into a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian any more than being born in a Starbucks makes you a Mocha Frappuccino. I mean, you're, you're not gonna, you're not. You're, the, the Christianity is something that God gives, and we receive that gift. That's the grace that's given. We do not want to minimize that. We do not want to say, "Well, these issues are more important than grace." Mm. That that to be united, we have to agree on this. That's just absolute hogwash, and and it needs to get out. It needs to. It's It's the devil's best game in the church today. You used
2: that joke many times when we were growing up. And the context (laughs) that you used it for us, though, was, hey, you guys are born into a pastor's family. And for us, I mean, at school, uh, in the church, oh, you're Pastor Mike's son. What you would always remind us is, in the way that you would phrase it, you would always phrase it with a different restaurant, different thing. But one of the ways that I remember it the best is being born in a Pastor's family doesn't make you a Christian any more than being born in a McDonald's makes you a Big Mac.
0: Yeah, I've updated it. <laughs> is the first Starbucks is a little is, cooler than McDonald's. It was now. the first yeah.
2: dad joke that I had ever heard. But one thing, <laughs> hey, that, what, wait a minute. But it was. But you're what? you're good at dad jokes. You're
0: very very funny. Well, all right, right. dig right out of the hole. But I think yeah.
2: that it, it just reminds me we don't have to wear the same uniform to be united, and we don't have to be wow. exactly mm. the same Look to be that. one. There's yeah. a difference between sameness and oneness. One, sameness means that we come from the same place, think the same things, do the same things, smell the same way, eat the same things. Oneness means that we come from the same one. Yeah. And we come from the same one as Christians. We're united by the same one. And Jesus said, they will know that you follow me by your love. And he finishes that sentence with, for one another. I think it's because Jesus knew the closer you get with people, the more you're going to find out about them that you disagree with. Mm-hmm. And so it would, it would have to take a miracle to stay united when you get that close with someone, when you see that much truth about somebody, like the reality of them, mm. it would take some sort of miracle to still love them and for them to still wow. love me.
0: Yeah. Being, being descendants of Abraham, Romans 9, 7, doesn't make them truly mm-hmm. Abraham's children. Uh, it, and Paul repeats this theme over and over and over mm-hmm. again. It's faith that saves. It's mm-hmm. not heritage. It's not morality. It's not having a view on a particular issue. Right. The, it, the issue is what do you see when you think of Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. What do you believe when it comes to Jesus? And, and if we say that's not enough to unite us, is that even Christian? Mm-hmm.
1: How can we make sense of Romans nine eighteen, which says, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens who he wants to harden.
3: Well, this is fun because I think you. you we want to take the divinity out of God sometimes,
1: mm-hmm. and not allow
3: God to be God. Mm-hmm. And the fun story I just. I, and every time I read this verse or I think about it, it makes me remember my friend Jordan, who uh, I met on the golf course and we were golfing one day, and he hit a terrible slice, and he had a I very yeah he had a very <laughs> uh, um, interesting view of God. He thought he saw God as very judgmental. Okay, and. um and so he's go well. There goes God smiting me again. I yeah. go no, Jordan. That's just your swing. <laughs> you know, it's not. It's not <laughs> God. <laughs> that's your swing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sometimes I think we want to attribute <laughs> mm-hmm. this discipline or punishment, you know, to God for the the choices that we make. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. The choices that we make it, can put us, you know, in a place where we need to repent. We need to get back to God and, may, and be made right, which is very easy with confessing. We talk about that also in the scripture today too. But this idea that you know seeing God is unfair. Uh, Doesn't really allow God to be the creator of the universe, the one who made all of this, the one that sees the bigger picture that we'll never see, that's in play at all times.
0: Yeah. The this is a really sensitive issue, and I know we've received a lot of questions. Multiple questions, right? And so there's some follow ups here because every once in a while we'll be reading along in scripture, and the hardest parts are when it just doesn't click with us, like culturally. Mm -hmm. It, It all of a sudden. We have, apparently, a God who makes choices. Yeah, exactly. I'll choose you, but not you, is is kind of what Paul is saying. And he goes on to say, hey, look, who are you to question God? You're not Mm -hmm. God. You don't see what God sees, that sort of thing. And there's certainly nothing but truth to that. But the God who chooses Israel is the same God who chose Isaac, not Ishmael, Mm. the same God who chose Jacob, not Esau. And that makes us nervous because we're like, well, what if God chooses someone else and not me then? Mm. And, and then we get into the whole, we talked about predestination mm-hmm. last week because that shows up in Romans 8. Uh, but is that really Paul's point in the bigger context of what he's saying? I, I would suggest he's saying this because he's challenging the Jewish people who are a part of Rome, uh, this community he's writing to, right. who might f- have a false security in thinking uh, I'm in because I'm Abraham's descendant. Mm-hmm. Well, so's is Ishmael. Right. So is Esau. So are these people God didn't choose. And so Paul's using, again, he's using history, Jewish history, mm-hmm. of which he is the most zealous Jew. He's saying, Let, let's talk about our history. This gets misunderstood quickly, and this is a really quick, dangerous ditch, where it turns into anti-Semite Semite kind of views, mm-hmm. where, where you look at uh, and say, well, yeah, it's, it, the, the, the Jewish folks, that's the problem. It's not what Paul's saying at all. In fact, he says quite the opposite here. He says, the fact that God chose Israel, that selection is special and it matters. We don't get to vote on it. God chose them. But it's also a mistake to lift up Israel as somehow being uh, morally perfect, because in the history of the Old Testament, we know that that's just not the case. They trip, they fall, they, they mess up. Uh, and then they repent, and they come back, and they're restored, and round and round it goes. And, you know, they go from slavery to freedom, and then they go back into exile and to freedom again. Round and round it goes. God chose Israel because out of Israel our salvation comes. And when I say our salvation, it is for the Jews, mm-hmm. but it's also for the non-Jews, the Gentiles. Out of Israel, the, the, the nation he chose, comes the Savior. Mm. That's what Paul's getting at here. That's his main point. I'm saying these things because I want you to know. Look at chapter 10, verse 4. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. That's the place where Paul is making it just abundantly clear. Jesus Christ is the one who out of Israel saves the world. And so when when it, when it God chooses Israel, he doesn't choose all of Israel, because he doesn't mm-hmm. choose Esau, he doesn't choose Ishmael, he doesn't choose others. He chooses mm-hmm. Jacob, he chooses Isaac, but he chooses... To give that opportunity now for everyone, Jew and Gentile, through Jesus Christ, it's a really good choice. Mm. When you look at it in the history of a messed up world, God had to choose a messed up people to work through to bring redemption out of our sinfulness.
2: In some ways, we have to allow God the opportunity. We don't have to, but we get to allow God the opportunity to finish the story. Yeah. So Pharaoh is an evil and wicked man, and Paul talks about him in the verse right before this. And God seems to use the evil of Pharaoh to lure evil into self-destruction. Yes because that's the only way that God is going to be delivering his people in this case. Okay. Meanwhile, you go to Jesus's famous story about the prodigal son Mm -hmm. and the father says to the son, who wants his inheritance and to go away and he's going to spend his money on all these terrible things. The father says, okay. And what is he doing? It seems like he's hardening the heart of his son there. Okay, go take the stuff. It seems like God gives people the opportunity to take the road that's fastest back to him. Even when it looks like that's not a fast road back to you. Mm -hmm.
0: Give God the chance Yep. to write the end of the story. Yep. So uh, is Israel special or Jewish people? Yes, mm-hmm. they are. God yep. chose them first. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. And we sh- those of us who are not Jewish should acknowledge that. I, wanna, I know that there's people who are listening who are Jewish. Mm-hmm. You're special to God. Yep. That, that is clear here in Romans. But look at chapter 9, verse 17. Paul writes, For the Scriptures say that God told Pharaoh... Pharaoh, which who you just mentioned, Danny, I've appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. That's through an evil dictator like Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God makes choices. And, and so when God chooses Pharaoh, he's not choosing him for, no. for one thing or another. He's choosing him for one very specific thing. I'm going to work through your evil to right. bring good and salvation to the whole world. That's what God can do. And so God, we need a God who makes choices. Yep. We need a God who writes a long arc story. And so I would just say step back, mm-hmm. pull back and say, we can, can we trust in the context of the totality of Scripture, the choices that God makes? And are those choices ultimately good for the whole world? And are they offered for everybody through Israel and through the Savior who came out of Israel to bring light and life um, to, to all people who want to put their trust in it?
1: Kind of on that. We did get a lot of questions about that one, and we try to get to as many as we can. We can't get to all of them, and so please feel free. If we don't get to yours, email us. We'll follow up. We'd love to do that. But one follow-up said, uh, Romans nineteen talks about hurting hearts, and I was going to ask about that, but the next two verses basically say, don't question God, you mere human. Is there a balance of both being able to ask God anything and not question God on stuff like that?
0: Yeah, because if we read the rest of the Bible, we know that Not only does God allow us to ask questions, but He gives us a script. I mean, a third of the Psalms are are people asking questions and wondering why and how. And Psalms of lament, Um, other passages, not just passages, entire books, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes is kind of a downer. (laughs) That way, you know, who who is this God? And Job, you know, what, what what's going on here? God wants us, I believe, to ask questions, or He wouldn't have put that in. In Scripture, mm-hmm. and for us, is the living Word of God, because He knows there's going to be seasons of life and times where we need to cry out to God. But what Paul is saying here is, look, uh, you questioning God, sure on a, on a certain level when you're going through things, but don't think you're a better theologian than God. Don't 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 think that you know more than God knows, or that you see more than God sees. Um, you know, famously in Bruce Almighty, Jim Carrey becomes God. You know, mm-hmm. the, his his character and he, he, he messes everything up. Buffalo <laughs> falls apart because he's just doing what he thinks is right. Let's humble ourselves a little bit, I think is what Paul is saying. He's also saying, remember, it's God's grace that saves, it isn't your heritage. So mm. we get back to the last question, and a theme that runs throughout Romans is if it's God who saves, let's make sure we don't think we get to judge God and check boxes to see if we think his theology is okay, which is ironic because theology means our study of God. Mm. Um, So we don't, as the students, we don't get to tell the teacher. And in this case, not just the teacher, but the creator of us, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how he made us.
2: Mm -hmm. There's two ways to ask questions. One is one that's willing to learn and another that's not really asking a question. And I I mean, if we're going to, Dad, if I could use an example here, but If you were to tell me growing up, Danny, no, you cannot go out tonight. And I say, why won't you let me hang out with my friends? And I run upstairs and I slam the door. I'm not asking a question. No, I'm making a statement and I'm angry, but you've shown me throughout my life. If I were to ask you, so what are we doing tomorrow? What's going on? What, What can you help me understand? there is a kind of question that's willing to get into the passenger seat and say, mm. can you show me where to go? Yeah. Can you show it's me where this is going? And then there's the one that holds onto that steering wheel really, right. really tight. And that's, that's not a question, even though it ends in a question mark.
3: Well, are you really seeking knowledge or are you just seeking justification right. for mm-hmm. what you think? Mm-hmm. I mean, I say this in my fun, I get to referee high school basketball. One of the things I tell like the, the players before the game is, if you have a question, come to us at the right time in the right way. We're going to answer it for you. The last thing I want is for a player to get upset on the floor and cause an issue. Mm-hmm. I think with God going to him in the right way and you know with the right you know openness to to hear, I think we're going to get the answer we need and sometimes we actually discover the answer ourselves in asking the question mm-hmm. because that's seeking knowledge. It's seeking to know something deeper and I think that's one of the most beautiful things we can do with God.
0: Yeah. Right, and the same. This is such a great question. Our our listeners and our Bible readers in this church family are so good. Paul himself is asking questions mm. for us. So if it's if it's not okay to ask questions, then Paul's kind of condemning himself. Mm-hmm. It says in verse six. Well, then has God failed to fulfill His promise to Israel? Elsewhere in Romans, he says, "Is God being unfair? Is the, is this wrong? Is this is?" But he's asking that as you say, Mark, with a humility mm-hmm. and Danny too, with a, a humble respect yeah. uh, for, for what's happening and, and, and not asking a question like, I know more than you, God, which mm-hmm. would be wrong. Mm-hmm. But I have a question because I'm truly puzzled. This, mm-hmm. this doesn't add up. And so what Paul is doing is he's saying, here's the question a lot of you are thinking about, and I do too, Paul's saying. And here's, here's who God is. Let's just remember who God is. Remember right before Jesus is born, the angel appears to Zachariah and to Mary and they both ask questions, Mm -hmm. but Mary's questions are with an attitude of humility and respect. Zachariah's apparently are not. So Zachariah gets his lips shut uh, for a while and Mary's blessed. Uh, And so, where our heart is in asking these questions, yes, it's okay to ask questions mm-hmm. of God. Well, Nicodem- yes, yes, yes. Nicodemus, even for the right reasons.
3: Nicodemus, in, yeah. In chapter three, he asks God Himself. Yes, you know the question: How can I be born again? What do I, have? you know? And Jesus didn't say, "Well, because you are an idiot, Nicodemus." Right. He honored the question and helped him see.
0: The bumper sticker that says, "God said it, I believe it. That settles it." I get it, mm. I appreciate it on a certain level, but then there is good should be a dot dot dot. And sometimes, if we're going to be honest, we wonder. And sometimes we have questions, and good questions lead to good answers. And Mm -hmm. if we don't ask the good questions, we're not going to ever find the answers.
1: That's great. Thanks for submitting the question. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) According to Romans 10, verses 1 through 13, and in contrast with what some religious teachers claim, how can we be saved and stand right in God's sight?
0: Uh, This also leads into one of the more famous verses in all the Bible. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 is included here. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead... You will be saved. So, how can we be saved? Just like that. How do we stand right before a holy God, which is sort of what Paul's building all throughout the first nine chapters of Romans. And now he's kind of finally crescendoing up, saying, This is it. Let me say it. Ag- I've said it before, Paul's writing, but let me write it as clearly as I can. But it's deeper than that. He's also tying this into Deuteronomy, which is the a relatively famous mm-hmm. verse that gets quoted again in the New Testament is the word, the word of God is near you. How does it go from there? It's on your lips and it's in your heart. Mm-hmm. So Paul, once again, is ta- connecting the dots for the Jewish mm-hmm. people in the Roman community in the Roman church saying, look, you know that phrase from Deuteronomy the Word of God, it's near you, it's on your lips, and it's in your heart. So let me tell you what should be on your lips and in your heart, mm-hmm. and how you know that this is a sign that you're saved. And he's tying this into circumcision and all these other things in Romans, which is the Jews would say at the time, who are misguided, Those some are not, some are. Those who are misguided would say, circumcision is, is the mark that shows that I stand right before God um, now and forever. But Paul's saying it's... It's deeper than that. Here, the sign is actually not circumcision, but what's in your heart and what's on your lips, which is which is what happens when people get transformed. It's what it's what happened to Paul, as we were saying earlier, when he was on the road to Damascus. Suddenly, his heart changed. Suddenly, you know, his his the things that were coming out of his mouth were different. And so, Paul's tying it all in together, saying, "Well, what's on your lips and what's in your heart?" What's on your lips is Jesus as Lord. Mm. And if you really have received God's amazing grace, that will flow freely. And what it should be in your heart is that God raised him from the dead. And if you really know where your hope for salvation comes from, that's what you'll carry in your heart. And it will lead you and guide you, and it will be the thing. There will be no bigger thing in your life. So Paul's saying, yes, it's simple, but on the other hand, it is all-encompassing.
2: I, I, I will never forget one of the greatest mic drop moments, if you will, in a sermon I've ever heard. I was sitting in my dorm room at Warburg College, fall of 2011, and Dad, I'm watching one of your sermons, and you said, Christian, don't do good things to get saved. Do them because you are saved. Mm. We, like As Christians, we are the body of Christ, and so what we do matters because they're seeing Christ, and if they see us acting as God's saving grace in this world, mm. that's a witness to something powerful and life-changing for other people to see. Mm-hmm. Of course we do good things. Yeah. Why? Not to get saved because we are saved.
3: It's yeah, free-flowing. Right. Like Spoiler
2: alert, that comes up in Romans 12.
3: That, yeah. It sure does.
0: <laughs> good, and, yep. good, good preview. Right. This also ties in with the prophecies in the Old Testament that say God's going to give you a new heart. Yep. He's going to take your mm-hmm. cold stone heart and, and, and make it new. This is what happens when the word is near you. It's on our lips and in mm-hmm. our hearts. This is what happens when the good news of God's love gets real for us. It takes over. Mm-hmm. And so I would encourage all of our listeners, make time for that. Mm-hmm. Make room for that. We we aren't asking you to do your Bible readings and and to, to get into the word and to pray your prayers and and to to serve and to 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 live the life God has called you to live. Because we want you to do a bunch of disciplines Mm. for the sake of disciplines. We're asking you to do these things because then faith can be all-encompassing for you. It can take over for you. It can change your heart. And when it does, now you've experienced what Paul is suggesting here, Mm. implying very strongly, this is the new circumcision. Mm. It's in your heart. Your your heart is just not going to be the same anymore. That's not going to lead to a perfect life. Nope. Uh, and so it's not, hey, we got to do all these things in order to get saved, as you were saying, Danny, but we do all these things because we are saved. If God's love is what it is for me, I'm much more likely to live the life that God has called me to live. If I'm just trying to impress God or come up with my own version of what I think would impress God, I'm probably going to mess it up every, every step of the way. So start with God's grace, not with our works.
1: What keeps most Christians then from sharing the good news of Jesus with others, and why should we get over it?
3: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Mark, why should we get over the whole thing? Because God said it, I believe it. That's good. that settles (laughs) it. No, I think so much. I'll just go back to my my origin story, if you will. It's a fear of not uh, being good enough, or not being a part of the team, or not knowing enough. For me, I mean, one of the biggest things that just really. Uh, pushed me down as a little kid was uh, I went to a VBS, Not Like Hopes, totally Mm -hmm. different. Um, And we did this game called Bible Race. And they would Mm -hmm. say the chapter, (laughs) verse, and you had to find it. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, I found one one time by accident, because I didn't know my Bible in like sixth grade. Mm -hmm. But when I discovered that God's love, there's nothing can separate us from that, I realized I didn't have to have it all figured out yet to be able to tell the story. And your story is compelling. I think that's the Mm -hmm. other thing that people think, well, my story isn't I don't have this big moment that I can share that's going to ha- reveal something to somebody that's going to resonate with them, that's going to turn their life around. I'm just a person that's lived a pretty you know, mundane life. Mm-hmm. But God is writing a story in you that's better than any story for, you know, it's, it's a great story. And if you just talk about who God is in you and what God has done through you, that's a compelling thing. And you mm-hmm. never know. Who that's going to resonate with? Oh, but good. this this whole idea that if we don't share our story, people may not hear it. Yeah, you know, and people may not maybe be introduced to God too. So there's an importance here. I mean, it's we don't want to hold onto it, hide it under a bushel. You know, we want to let it shine because that's how people can see God. And um, and we're not perfect. The other thing is, you don't have to be perfect to do this either. Because I'm mm-hmm. far from it. I'm mostly an idiot all the time. And <laughs> that's it's, not true. Well, <laughs> it depends on who you ask. Sometimes, <laughs> but not. but it's it, but yet. God can work so many cool things through you if you just start off with a simple understanding. Mm-hmm. This is who God is to me. Mm-hmm. God changed me, and I believe God can do the same through you.
0: That's yeah. good. This is one of my favorite passages. You know, mm-hmm. How beautiful are the feet of those oh. who bring the good news. When I was in high school, uh, one of the jobs I had in the summer was I was I was the delivery boy for a, a pharmacy in our neighborhood on the north side of Chicago, mm-hmm. Larson Drug. Mm-hmm. On uh, the corner of Northwest Highway and Oliphant, and um, I, w- I would go there and I'd work in the store unless there was a uh, prescription delivery. And ma- some of the some of the people who needed the prescription couldn't come into the store because they just weren't able, or it was just more convenient, or whatever. So, uh, you know, Mister Larson was a little ahead of his time with delivering, uh, you know, groceries and things. So I would get in his Ford Pinto. That's a whole other story for another day. You know, it that, that was not safe on any level whatsoever. And you could literally look inside down to the floorboard of the driver's seat, and you could see the road. You no, know, because no. it, it had rusted out. Yep. So I'm driving this Pinto um, to deliver um, diabetes medication um, to this family. I don't know the story. I don't know what's going on, uh, but Mr. Larson says this is really important. They need this pronto like mm-hmm. yesterday so so get it over there and they're really anxious about it so i got there and it turns out it was for a kid mm-hmm. and the mom was at the door and when she when she saw that it was me the messenger she cried and she gave me a hug mm-hmm. and she said thank you so much for thank you thank, oh we we because this is her son mm-hmm. who she loves and she she knows how much he needs this insulin how much he needs this medicine it's an honor to be the messenger. Sometimes it's an Mm -hmm. honor to be the one who gets to deliver the good news. And the fact that she didn't know me, you know, she gives me a hug at the door. It's like, I'll never forget that. I'll Mm -hmm. never forget that feeling in that moment. We get to be the messengers of good news. Mm -hmm. We get to be, not just here's a prescription that will help somebody's physical health. That's Mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. But here's a prescription that will give you a new and an everlasting life that Mm -hmm. will conquer sin death and the darkness of evil for you. Wow. To, to say, uh, ah, I think I'm just going to keep that to myself. I'm not going to I'm not going to deliver that message to anybody. I don't it's, you know, it's awkward. And and so that part of the question, the why should we get over it? Cuz there's so much at stake. Yeah. Be, because people need to hear this good yeah. news. Faith comes by hearing. Paul makes that clear in Romans 10:17 here in this passage. And so we've got a job. Mm-hmm. We we've What if I told Mr. Larson, eh, I don't feel like delivering this prescription today. I'm not going to do it. That's like us saying to God, eh, I don't really feel like sharing my faith or inviting somebody to church or doing anything like that because it's just so awkward. Uh, Yeah, we need to get over that.
1: Okay. How does the Old Testament history of Israel give New Testament Bible readers a deeper understanding of the way God sees his chosen people today? And why should Gentiles, all the rest of us, take note?
2: Yeah. So... Paul is very, he goes very in detail in Romans chapter 11, um, and he references a lot of Old Testament scriptures, mm-hmm. um, and probably too many to answer in this one question, so I'll say this. In the Old Testament, they didn't, they didn't know who Jesus was. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't know his name. They didn't know his mom. Uh, they didn't know, depending on when they were living, many, many, many of the generations that would come before him. They knew that there would be a Messiah. I mean, in the Bible, in the New Testament, Paul will talk about how Abraham had faith. Abraham had faith in what? He had faith in a promise that God was not going to leave him in destruction, you know, in despair, in a meaningless life. So in the Old Testament, they're having all these different promises about a Messiah. And as humans do, we put our own expectations on what this Messiah must be. And as humans do, we kind of twist it for what's going to be a convenient option for that. So here comes Jesus. And Paul knew all these prophecies. He knew all these different things. And here comes Jesus, who is not the convenient option for the Messiah, but he is the only possible solution to fulfill every single thing that's ever been said about the Messiah. And so when Jesus comes along, he's actually proving himself with an even stronger case to be the Messiah because he's not who the Jewish people had expected. For example, Paul. Paul had spent his entire life in great knowledge. He understood all the prophecies, all the promises about the Messiah, and it was just too easy. It was just too simple and quite frankly, offensive for someone like Jesus to come around and say, I'm doing all the work, but that's the only solution. That's the only option. It's not a convenient option for people like Paul who had grown up in this religious time, or in, in, this, in this religious sect, but it was the only possible option. So then you've got Jesus who comes along and he's the one who can fulfill these things. So you've got Paul who grew up in this knowledge and all these different things. And sometimes Christians, we say, ah, yes, it's the ones with knowledge. They're the ones who get to teach. They're the ones who get to uh, lead the church and all these different things. And then it was when Paul had an experience in Acts chapter nine, when he meets Jesus, where it's, okay, so knowledge is not experience. And all of a sudden, Paul now has mm-hmm experience that matches to the knowledge that he's been growing up in. And suddenly all of the old Testament is starting to make sense to him in a new way. But Christians, we have to be careful too, because then we say, oh, okay, well then the knowledge doesn't matter. It's just the experience. And I've had this holy experience with God. So therefore I get to be the one who goes out and tells people the way that things are, because I had this experience. Uh, not so fast because what does it say right after Paul's <laughs> conversion, he goes and he stays with some believers. And yes, he goes out and he preaches the good news that Jesus is the fulfillment of these messianic prophecies. But he spends years in community with other believers, with mm-hmm. the apostles. Yeah. He spends so much time with them, touring the, 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 the known world at that time, before he's going out and he's writing these letters. So knowledge is not experience, and experience is not knowledge, but having the both of them, good, having the knowledge combo. of Scripture, mm-hmm. and then having this experience, like, oh, you are the only one who can fulfill these things. Mm-hmm. Well, then it becomes a much more satisfying and fulfilling experience as a Christian.
0: That's really a great summation, and it it reminds us that Paul's saying, "Look, it's faith, not works," and that's good news not just for the Gentiles, mm-hmm. it's also for fellow Jews like me. He's making his point very clear.
1: Yeah, how does Romans twelve verses one and two expand and perhaps redefine our understanding of true worship?
0: Yeah. It says in verse one at the end, this is truly the way to worship him is is to give our bodies to God. It says, because of all he's done for you. So we start with God's grace. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that God will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And then he goes on to say, next verse, don't copy the world. Mm. Instead, live this whole new life by changing the way you think, which Mm -hmm. is the definition of repentance is we change our minds on things. We stop seeing it the world's way and we start seeing it God's way. So How to get to the specifics of the question, how does it redefine our understanding of true worship? Well, worship, I'm just not a fan of either ors when it comes to a lot of these things we talk about in church where people would say at this point, worship isn't what we do on Sunday mornings, it's what we do the rest of the week. Actually, it's Mm bold. It is Sunday mornings, and it's really important. Mm -hmm. In fact, elsewhere in Scripture, it talks about how important that gathered assembly is and how good it is for us to praise God together, and we were created to praise, and how good it is for us to hear the Word of God together, Acts chapter 2, how good it is for us to gather together for worship as a part of our weekly Sabbath rest, whether that, what day of the week that is, is not essential. What's essential is that we have a Sabbath and that we include worship as a part of that. But worship isn't just that hour or hour and a half or hour, 70 minutes is what we shoot for here in this church. It's not just that little section of your week. It's, according to Paul, what he's saying here, it's broader than that. It's, it's what we do all day long. It's in, it's in our sleeping, our eating, our waking, our working, our socializing, our family time, our screen time, our alone time. All of it can be an offering to God. All of it, when we're living a God-conscious life, when our, when our hearts are overwhelmed by God's amazing grace. So this isn't all about, oh, how, how righteous and religious we are. It's just we're reminded. It's why it's so important to be reading the Bible every day. So we're reminded there is a God. <laughs> this God really does love me, mm-hmm. and that's going to allow me to provide a framework Upon which, no matter what colors are painted into my day, it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. It's going to be okay, I can still have joy, I can still have peace, I can still have a full life. That's offering everything that we have to God. This conversation, um, you know, wherever we have lunch today, wherever we where, where, where are coming in and are going out, Paul's saying, don't just relegate, you know spirituality to one little part of your life. Do it while you're working out do it while you're you're scrolling through social mm-hmm. media do it while you're watching a movie do on be god conscious be aware mm-hmm. of it and if you do it's really going to bless you because it's then it's not about you being religious it's about you just being mindful about who god is and how big god's love mm-hmm. is for you uh there's a there's a um, thing that I've always wanted in my life. I've always wanted a power washer. I don't know for how long, how long I wanted a power washer. I know it's weird, but you know, there's things power washers can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? I, yeah, when every time I wash my car, yeah. I think I want a power washer. It, me too. And, and not only that, but you know, like clean the garage, do, mm-hmm. do all sorts of things to, to get the gook off the wall. It, every, every, and my, my neighbor has a power washer. And so I asked him once, hey, can I borrow your power washer to to do something? And you kind of know where this is going, right? So I'd never used a power washer before. He goes, I'm going to give it to you to use, but here's the instructions. Because it's a little more complicated than you think. And he talked me through, but I'm a man. And (laughs) so I just didn't listen. And I sort of just, I said, how complicated can it be? You hook up a hose, you start it up you take the thing and you shoot it and and you know and then it washes for you mm-hmm. and, and it's going to be great so i set it all up i didn't read the instructions i thought i i can do this it's just it's common sense and i take the power washer out and i start i hit the nozzle i hit i hit the spray thing and and it shoots and the nozzle shoots off because i hadn't secured it cuz i didn't read the instructions shoots off and disappears into who knows i don't know how many how many yards away it went but it was like who knows and i'm like oh shoot Mm because now i've lost the guy's my neighbor's nozzle Mm -hmm. i might have shot it into his yard i don't know but (laughs) but, and i spent the next two hours looking for that nozzle i had sally out helping me look for the nozzle but i had to do it kind of incognito in case my neighbor (laughs) came out hey what are you doing mike oh looking for your nozzle Mm. i should have read the instructions Here's the instructions. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to be yeah. you know, too flippant about that, but that's what Paul is saying. Go back to the Word. Go back to the original plans. Go back to what God has said from the very beginning. And instead of writing my own version and vision of what a power washer should be or who God should be mm-hmm. or what my life should be, why don't I check in with the one who made it all? Why don't I check in with the one who actually wants us to use, it a, use this life in a certain way and live it out in a certain way? It just goes better that way. Mm-hmm. That's worship is when we get right with the power washer. I'm sorry. Yeah. When we get, when we get right with the God who made us and loves us.
1: Okay. To wrap us up today, according to Romans 12 verses nine through 21, what are the essential and somewhat surprising keys to finding the life we've always wanted and we're created to live?
0: Yeah. Uh, Romans 12 is one of my favorite passages in all Scripture, and I'm going to preach on it this weekend, so I'll turn it over to you guys. What what do you see in there in this question? What what are the keys that are... Even some of the surprising ones that jump off the page at you in Romans 12 as, as we read through this and how we should read the manual and live out the lives that God has called us to live. What does the manual say? What does God say? Because Romans 12 is this beautiful summary of what the Christian life is supposed to look like.
3: I think so much of this is... We want to point to ourselves and what this whole thing don't like starts off, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. When I when I preside over weddings, which I love to do, one of the things I remind couples all the time is love is not just what you feel, how it makes you feel. Love is a towards. Mm -hmm. Love is how you express what God has shown you to the person that you're with. Mm -hmm. So he's reminding both the Jews and the Gentiles in this passage. The way that people are going to understand this the best is if you actually put this into practice, not just, you know, rest on the idea that you've been chosen. The way to find that best life is to live it out. You know, don't seek revenge on your enemies, but love them. And I love how he, you know, harkens back because it's like putting burning coals on top of their head. This is one of my favorite yeah. passages as well. To, to show someone love... Is far more powerful than getting revenge.
0: Yes, because mm-hmm.
3: that's the way you're going to transform them. So he's really just he's challenging them and us to live this out—the spiritual act of worship. Live it out on the daily, because then you're pointing people not to you, but to the God who made you. Yeah, that's it.
2: Mm-hmm. It begs the question: Like, do, do you trust God or not? When it mm. says, "I will take revenge, I will pay them back," says the Lord. Do do you trust God to do what God promises to do or not? And I know that sometimes we want to take matters into our own hands, and we want to make the revenge on our own. But if I could make a plug for the book of Esther, take a look at it.
0: Which mm. we're reading this week.
2: Which we're reading this week. Mm-hmm. You've got Esther and Mordecai, and there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of violence, there's a lot of alcohol, there's a lot of sex in the book of Esther.
0: You've Morde- just got a lot of people to, yeah. to do the Old Testament reading this week.
2: And, and Esther and Mordecai are involved in it. And so what's it, what's it saying? Is it saying that Esther and Mordecai are moral examples? No. But what are they examples of? They're examples of trust. Mm. When, when my life's out of control and I feel like I have no other option to make other than to choose sin, which sometimes as Christians, we feel like that. And these people are, they're persecuting me. They're, they're, they're oppressing me. What am I going to do? Do you trust God mm. to put yourself even sometimes in difficult situations like Queen Esther's going to in the book of Esther? Mm-hmm. Do you trust God? Do you trust him to take care of things? And you know what's really cool about the book of Esther? The book of Esther never even mentions the name of God. Mm -hmm. And so what's it saying? Even when you don't see him, he seems to be up to something because Jesus, when he's on trial for his life and all he has to do is say something and it'll save his life, he chooses to stay silent and in his silence, he saves the world. Do you trust him? Mm. When God seems most quiet, he's up to something big. Do you trust him? I think that in Romans chapter 12, one of the things that popped out to me this time is do you trust me enough? And again, like we said earlier, to write the end of the story,
0: trust is the key, and that's been Paul's point throughout this letter to the Romans, and he'll continue to to say this as we go into next week's readings. But I would, it just doesn't get any better than this. It doesn't get any better than Romans. It doesn't get any better than, in, as far as the summation of our faith in chapter twelve, what the Christian life looks like. Do you trust, as you were saying, Danny? Do you trust God enough? to follow his instructions. Do you trust God enough to live out the life that he's called us to live? Do I? And that's a, you know, that's a daily kind of mm-hmm. dilemma. Is is am I going to put my trust in me? Am I going to put my trust in somebody else? Okay, so I want to have a better life. Uh what does the world tell me? Um fad diets, fitness fads, trends, do do these things um, you know, get into get 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 into uh you know high intensity interval training uh eat these certain food here's some new superfoods that we've just found here's mm-hmm. and it's all good i think that i have nothing negative to say about that stuff unless we think that's all we need mm-hmm. like that's gonna do it if i could just get my physical body in shape i'd be great it would be a huge step forward that would be awesome. But it's not enough. It, so if I put my trust in somebody's health plan, if I put my trust in somebody's um, you know, philosophy of life, if I put my trust in the wisdom of this world, it can be really helpful. It can. We don't have to dismiss that completely to say self-help is all bad. It's, a lot of it's really good. Some of it should be avoided like mm. the plague. But, but some of it is really helpful. But is that really what we're living for more than anything else? I mean, is, is that is that going to do it? Is that going to be enough? Who do we trust with our lives, with everything we've got? And the God who made us wants us to take care of ourselves. So it's not like it's either or completely, but when it comes right down to it, we're going to need more. We're going to need a God who tells us some really kind of obvious things like you should love people. Mm -hmm. But then like you said, Mark, I don't want you to say you love them. I want you to actually live it out. Read it, learn it, live it. Mm-hmm. Don't just read the Bible and learn about it, but, but live it out. Mm-hmm. Do you trust me enough to bless your enemies? Do you trust me enough not to exact revenge on the people who do you wrong? Do you trust me enough to say vengeance is mine? I'll take care of the justice part of this. You don't have to fix everything. Do you trust me enough to believe that there's evil in this world and the way you conquer it is with doing good It isn't, and with love? It isn't with trying to figure out like a worldly philosophy to how to fix the world. Who do we trust is where Paul's getting and he's saying this to the Romans uh, as a super smart dude and a faithful dude who's had a life transformation and he wants us to have it too. He has beautiful feet. Mm. and uh, we want you to uh, hear this good news too. so thanks for tuning in and please don't just keep the faith to yourself. please share it with the world around you and we'll see you at worship this week. Yeah, I know.
1: for joining us today. Please make sure to like and subscribe on your favorite platform and we'll see you next time.